Good morning, everyone. It is one of our missionary, Kelly Dingus's birthday. I'm just going to embarrass her. She's sitting up here on the front row. Let's sing happy birthday to Kelly. Happy birthday to you. Woo! Happy birthday to you. Woo! Happy birthday, dear Kelly. Happy birthday to you. No, no, no. We won't go into that. I don't do those. I I don't do that. <laughs> You're safe, Kelly. I don't do that. <laughs> no, but, you know, they are, the Dinguses have been so closely associated with psychers, missionaries, and here every year and serving in the Lord and representing us in Taiwan. And, um, you know, my grandson who's been in the youth, is, when he thinks of psyker, he thinks of the Dinguses. So, <laughs> so could be what? Well, no, it's not. I'll, I'll tell you it's not. Anyway, um, What's the matter? I don't know why it's um, not coming up on If it doesn't, it won't be the end of the world. Don't worry about it. Oh, sometimes that helps. Or I can cut her off and on. How about that? Yeah. If it doesn't come up, it will, we'll, we'll, you know, I live before technology. I can operate without it or with it. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter too much. Um, the other thing I would like to mention, a couple days ago they mentioned the, the, the desire to start prayer cells around the campground, and uh, those would focus on a prayer chair. There are banners that say prayer chair. And at about quarter to one, people who have those are putting that banner on. They encourage you for the one o'clock prayer time to gather at a place where you see a prayer chair. And then after the prayer, the three-minute prayer, there will be prayer requests and a time of prayer together to foster and increase and encourage prayer on the campground. So far, we only have four people who volunteered to do a prayer chair. There's one at the, up at Teresa's cabin. There's one over here at the, at the uh, Campbell's. Where are the other two? One on the porch and, and back over there. But we need some other volunteers. We have the banner for you. And all you have to do is put it on your chair and put it out there for, to, get, as, to encourage people together in prayer. So if you live somewhere else on the camp, campus here, please see Rose, my wife, Rosa, raise your hand. Or, or you can see Joy Campbell, but Rosa's right, right here. Oh, uh, men are able to put it out as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's just not a men's or women's thing. Yeah, you're right. Uh, so um, thank you. That's a good point. Uh, men can pray just as well, well, maybe not as well as women can, but men can pray. I've known some really great women prayer warriors. But, um, so let me encourage you to participate in that. All right, let's sing that chorus, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Can you join me on the verse today? Let me, the verse goes, the sun comes, you know it, it's 10,000 reasons. The verse, the sun, if I, now watch it, I'll get a glitch, you won't be able to say it. But the sun comes up, it's a new day dawning. It's time to sing your praise again. Whatever may pass and whatever lies before me, let me be singing when the evening comes. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, O oh my soul. Worship his holy name. Sing like never before. Oh, they got it up there. O oh my soul, I'll worship your holy name. The sun comes up. It's a new day dawning. It's time to sing your song again. Whatever may pass and whatever lies before me, let me be singing when the evening comes. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, O oh my soul. Worship his holy name. Sing like never before, oh my soul, I worship your holy name. Since we have the, verse, the words up there, let's do the next two verses, if you have them back there. You're rich in love and you're slow to anger. Your name is great and your heart is kind. For all your goodness I will keep on singing. Ten thousand reasons for my heart to find. 
Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, O oh my soul. Worship his holy name. Sing like never before, O oh my soul. I worship your holy name. The third verse is my favorite. And on that day when my strength is failing, the end draws near and my time has come. Still my soul will sing your praise unending 10,000 years and then forevermore. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, O oh my soul. Worship his holy name. Sing like never before, O oh my soul. I worship your holy name. Let us pray. Our Father, we do worship your holy name this morning. We praise you this morning. We want to walk with you through this Lord's Day, this marvelous day when we join in worship with the people of God around the world, and to be praising you when it's over. And Lord, we're thank, we thank you that we can praise you on the last day, which is the first day of eternity. We love you, we praise you, we exalt you today. Now, Lord, we ask you to be present and open your word to our hearts. May everything that I say and all that we think together bring praise and honor and glory to you. May we draw closer to you through your word and go out to live in obedience and fellowship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're at the second unit in Ephesians. The first unit, which was introduction, we look first of all at Paul's great opening thanksgiving, where he thanked God for every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ that he had given to the people of God. He hints at, of course, the overall theme for Bible study are the many splendored wisdom of God. The many splendored wisdom of God is God's great plan for the redemption of the world, which uh, Paul is assuming he's going to talk about. By chapter 3, he'll describe it in, in, uh, uh, in, in detail. But that included... The, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ that he has given to us. And he went on to talk about how God had from the beginning planned that we would be holy and blameless before him in love, that we would belong to him, live in fellowship with him, reflect his character. We would indeed become his sons and daughters. We would be adopted and brought into his, into his family through all through Jesus Christ for the, re, for the redemption our redemption from, the, from sin and suffering and death through the blood of Christ, for the removal of our, our, our transgressions. Um, and all of these blessings and, and all of this and more is according, you remember, according to the praise, is for the praise of the glory of His grace, but it's also because, it's because of um, the good pleasure of His will. I've come to love those words because it means God has done this for us just because he wanted to and just because of who he is, just because this is the kind of God he is. Then yesterday, we, the second part of the introduction was Paul's prayer. Paul's prayer, he, does not, he, he, he can hardly contain himself praising God for, the, for the every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places that he's given to his people and for all that he has done for them. But he won't go any further without praying for spiritual enlightenment. This truth, we will not grasp it. We will not understand it. We will not be able to appropriate it on our own. God has to open our eyes, and so he prays that the, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, will give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. It's, only, it's revelation in the sense that only God can open our eyes. But he gives it to us with wisdom, not for our own uh, selfish benefit, not to achieve our own ends, not to glorify ourselves, not to manipulate other people, but to know how this revelation of Christ, the reality of Christ applies in our lives and in the lives of the people of God. And you remember he prayed then that, you, that we might know um, 
uh, we might know, he added to faith and love that you have. He prayed for them because he said, I've heard of, your, of the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ which exists among you and your love for all the saints. But his prayer for them is in the spirit of wisdom and revelation that God would give them that they would know the hope of his calling and the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Those two go together. He wants them really to know what God has prepared for them, to grasp the future that God has for him that begins right here in the present with the life of God in our hearts and in our lives. The riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And the third thing he wanted them to know, what was the third thing, do you remember? The exceeding greatness of what? Of his power, the exceeding greatness of his power that is uh, at work um, in, uh, for us who believe. We're not just talking about the power that created the universe. That's God's all right, yes. But the exceeding greatness of his power for those of us who believe. And where was that power manifested? In the resurrection of Christ, the power is manifested in Christ's death and in his resurrection. It is the power by which God raised him from the dead and did what else? Seated him at, at, at the right hand in the heavenly places, in the heavenly sphere, in the divine sphere, in the sphere of God, in that sphere in which now through Christ we are able to live. The heavenly places in Christ Jesus and has put him above every, every authority and power and dominion. And these are all spiritual. You can't, we can't parse them out and say by one Paul means this and by another Paul means this. That's not really possible. But he uses all of these words together to say Christ is, has overcome. He is, he is over every spiritual power that could oppose him in this world and the age to come. And if you don't think I put enough words in here with, with authority and, and, and dominion and power and so forth and rulership, then any name that's named. That's the et cetera. Anything else you can put here, Jesus at the God's right hand has authority over it. As the risen Christ said in Matthew, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and in earth. Through my death and resurrection, I have conquered death and conquered the forces of, not only conquered death, but conquered the forces of evil, and I've sat down at the right hand of the majesty of the throne on high. Now, we begin section two of the Bible study. Um, today, my slides aren't working. That's okay. It's, I was only going to use them minimally anyway. You have the, you have the notes as handouts. Um, but um, and um, today, we move to Paul's describing the life of the Ephesians, what God has done in your life. He's going to talk about what God has done in your life. That's all of chapter 2. And the picture I had to represent it was the, uh, 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 the stadium at Ephesus. You know, that's the stadium where everybody, where they cried for two hours when Paul was there, great as Diana, the Ephesians, and so forth. And when we visited Ephesus, of course, I did what every other stupid person does. I went there and said, great as Diana, the Ephesians. You know? <laughs> but... Um, but that represents we're in the arena. What has God done in our lives? What is visible there? We are our, our testimony to Christ. And he's going to talk now about the Ephesians. Basically, he's going to say, you, I've talked to you about the power of the resurrection is exceeding power. That's been at work in your life, and you know it. Because the section today, the first part of chapter 2, um, that is verses 1 to 10, Paul is going to talk about how God brought you were dead, but God made you alive. Isn't it wonderful to be alive? You know, I was really seriously ill in Sierra Leone one time, almost to the point of death. My wife saved me with two outdated um, IVs. But I remember when I, I was a delirious, when I came back to myself looking out the window and seeing a pawpaw tree out there and thinking how good it is to be alive. Well, it's good to be physically alive, but Paul is talking about something about or that you were dead and now you are alive. The second part of this chapter, he's going to talk about them again. He's going to say, you were aliens. You were not part of the people of God. You were aliens and outcasts, but now... Now you are part of the people of God. You've been joined to the promises of God. So we're going to have those, those two descriptions of what God has done in their lives. 
Today, it's you were dead, but God has made you alive. Let's look at the scripture and, and read it. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you, you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, doing or indulging in the, in the will or the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest of the people are. But God, but God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By the way, it's by grace that you are saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And now, of course, one of those most famous verses that all of us memorized, probably or many of us did when we were young even. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that, any, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship. This sure reinforces some of the stuff that my brother John's been saying about it's what God does in us. If there's any doubt about it, just read this passage. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Okay, to start with on the outline you have, the first thing, verses 1 and 2. Well, first, we're, the whole first section, Paul, of course, yes. Um, Kelly, they're in a box under there. There are a few left. And if you, maybe somebody else needs one too. I, the boy at these back there need one. Some, if you wouldn't mind sharing those. Thank you. Thank you. Just take the paper off. It's just, he'll get you one. Thank you. Uh, the, the whole first section is our past. That is actually, that, that's the first part of verses 1 to 10, our past. 110, chapter, uh, verses 1 and 2 are specifically, that's point A under our past, where Paul talks about your past. You know what you were like. And I would title this, when in your past, there's some on this side too, if you don't mind, uh, we'll make sure, we'll make, just keep your hand up, we'll make sure we get, you get it over there. Um, um, I... To, to, to sort of describe who they were, we could say they were the walking dead. They were living, they walked around, but they walked according to the, 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 the course of this world. They were the walking dead. You were dead. Their pre-Christ condition can be described as nothing less than being dead in their trespasses and sins. That's important. It was their trespasses and sins that were the element of their death that were the evidence of their death, and that were killing them both. Uh, it were both evidence of it, and they were, they were what was destroying them. They had, you know, um, so, um, oh, I, I missed the point here. Hold on a second. They were without the life. It's not just about what's going to happen to them when they die. They're without the life of God. They were spiritually insensitive. You know, when you go to a funeral, you walk up to the casket. I used to have a friend that talked about somebody who'd walk up and look in the casket and say, that's him all right. But it isn't him. It's not him. It's a dead corpse. And you can do anything you want to it. You can stick it. You can hit it. Not that you should. Anything you want, it won't respond because it has no sensitivity. It's, it's dead. It can't feel anything. So this is the situation in which people are away from Christ. Dead. Dead. Un, dead to the things of God. Insensitive to the things of God. Not responsive because they are dead in their trespasses and sins. Um, 
This is, this is a comprehensive sort of term, trespasses and sins goes together to, to make a big picture there of us living autonomously apart from God, doing our own thing instead of God's thing. The course of their lives, for they walked in this way. The word walk is important. I'm going to talk about it later on too. It's a great biblical image. Some translations mess it up by just translating it as live. It means how you live all right. But I think I mentioned this the other day. Walk is important because walk is very concrete. It's step by step. And in walk, you're going somewhere or else you're just wandering around. But it points to the everyday course of their life, their trespasses and sins in which they walked concretely every day. They were doing them. They were following this kind of life. And they were, they were living uh, uh, according to... Um, The according to what? What does it say? You're living according to what? According to the course of the, of the world, according, literally according to this age. You're living like everybody else lives apart from God. There is the world, the pressure of the world to conform. You're doing the same thing other people are doing, the same lusts, the same goals, the same self-centeredness, the same trying to uh, get your own way and achieve your own thing for your own purposes, no matter what, you know, all, all of the sinful things that go with it, according, according to the, the course of this world, the, the pressure of the world around us. What you're doing is completely normal. This is, this is what everybody is doing. Um, but you're working, walking according to the course of this world, and how else are you walking and living? According to what else? The prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is still at work in the children of disobedience. We think we are so autonomous. We think it's great. Everybody should be able to choose exactly what they want to do. We talk as if we were free beings that could just choose and were without any constraint. That's absolutely deceptive. The prince of the power of the air, they're... There is, there is a spiritual force of wickedness, call him the devil, whatever you want to call him. He's, there is a personality, an evil personality, a spiritual force of wickedness opposed to God in this world that binds people. If we do not believe that, if we do not see that, we are walking in ignorance. And he, Paul says, you were bound. You were living not only according to the course of this world, but according to, under the power of, the prince of the power of the air. His influence in this fallen world is pervasive. Now, God is here. Don't misunderstand me. Christ is sovereign. Christ has won the victory we've already seen over this, over, over this power of evil. But it is, he is here and at work and to be reckoned with. He is indeed the spirit that is still at work in the sons of disobedience, in the people of disobedience. Because disobedience is the mark of following the spirit uh, of this world. Now, let's compare that to what we've already heard about the people of God. This is the opposite. To, to walk according to the course of this world is the opposite of living in the heavenly places with Christ. They're two opposite things, two spheres, two levels of reality. We have to walk in this world, but as we saw yesterday, we also live in the heavenly places through Christ, in God's presence, in fellowship with Him, in, 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 the, in, in the eternal reality that, that is, is ours. But this is the opposite of it, walking in according to the course of this world. Walking according to the spirit of the power of disobedience, uh, to the spirit of, um, according to the prince of, of the power of the air, um, the one who's at work in the children of disobedience, what is that opposite from? Being sealed by the Holy Spirit. Christ's work being in us sealed. We've already seen that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. It's the exact opposite. We don't walk according to this world. We live in the heavenly places. We don't walk under the power of the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's working the children of disobedience. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit. And he is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. We belong to him. And we are no longer sons of disobedience. What have we already seen is our privilege in Christ. We're not sons of disobedience. But in Christ, 
we have been adopted or we are, we've been chosen before the found, uh, determined that we would be for sonship of, of God in Christ. We're, so we, we don't walk according to the course of this world. We live in the heavenly sphere. We're not under the power of, of, the, uh, uh, of, of the prince of the power of the air. We're sealed by the Holy Spirit. And we're not sons of disobedience anymore. We're not walking that way. We've been sealed. We, we, we are now sons of the living God through the Lord and daughters of the living God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, but this was there, the condition before they came to Christ. According to the spirit that is now at work in the children of disobedience. Now, verse 3, Paul talks about your past, but Paul doesn't exempt himself. He moves on in verse 3, to, uh, it was his past, Jew though he was, it was his past too. Paul says it's our common past. He's not just talking about those people out there, folks. It's our common past. Every one of us who are here in Christ today, that was our common past. That's what God has saved us from. But here, it, it, Paul talks about, it makes it our common past. Among them, that is the sons of disobedience. We too, it's an inclusive we. We too all formally walk, con walked, or no, formally conducted ourselves. We, that was the course of our life. In the lusts of our flesh, indulging or doing the will of the, the desires, the will of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the others. Paul is calling him to remember their previous condition and in saying he is part of it. Um, they were, they walked according to, they conducted themselves in the lusts of our flesh. Now, flesh. What does he mean by flesh here? He's not talking about this. The Bible uses the word flesh in various ways. It can just be flesh like we would use it. It can be our humanity, all flesh is like grass, um, unlike the flower of the flask, the wind blows over and it's gone. It can be our finite humanity in comparison to God, but it can also represent humanity turned away from God. Our living simply in a human way, leaving God out of our lives, leaving, uh, living for ourselves purely what we, on the human standard, which of course is under the power of the evil one, but leaving God out of their lives. And that's what he's talking about here. To walk according to the flesh is to walk in a way that focuses merely on ourselves and leaving God out of our lives. And so we're then, we're, we're then we're, our lives were characterized by the lust of the flesh um, and the desires of the mind. Now this is not then simply sensuality. Sometimes people talk about the lust of the flesh and it simply means sexual immorality, gluttony, um, um, you know, uh, sort of the debased physical desires and an over, overindulgence and things and so forth. It includes that. But the lust of the flesh includes much more. It includes all those what we might call sins of the spirit. It, it, it backbiting, gossip, contention, strife, um, uh, jealousy, envy, and all of their all of their manifestations, all of our selfs, all of our self-centeredness. You know, God does not call us to give up ourselves, to stop loving ourselves. God doesn't say it's wrong for you to want your own good. You know that? God appeals to you to that. He offers you eternal joy. It's quite all right to to love your, to want your, to want your own good. God asks us to extend that to our neighbor. I'm to love my neighbor as myself, and it's possible for my desire for my own good to lead me to do something wrong to someone else. But God doesn't ask me to give that up. What he asked me to die to is my self-centeredness. Is every pushing myself, my own, I have to be in control. I have to be better than other people. I have to push them down to be there. That's what he asks us to give up. That is, that is at the heart of these sins of the flesh. Why are people jealous? Why do they backbite? Why do they gossip? Why do they do all of these things to make themselves look good and other people put other people down? So we, that's, the, that's, that's all included in the lust of the flesh, the desires of the flesh, and of the mind, the human mind apart from God, its own imaginations. It's not something that just flows from here. We are able to imagine our sin. We think about it. We have a bent to go in that direction. We can scheme about it. 
We can fantasize of our lusts. We can think about how we can use other people for our own ends and how we can do this to them and that. The human mind also is bent in this direction, the desires of the will of the flesh and of the mind. Paul says, we, I, I was there with you at one time. That's the way we all were. And then he talks about what is our destiny going to be. We were all that way. Um, our minds feed our flesh. Oh, by the way, you know, this is all debilitating, you know. When you live in this way according to the lust of the flesh, it, it messes up your mind. You become more and more enmeshed in being dead in your trespasses and sins. Perverts the mind. I mean, this is neuroscience even backs this up here. How you live forms pathways in your brain and makes connections in your brain. And if you've ever tried to talk to somebody sometimes who's been persistently living a life of sin, even if they haven't gone into addictions, you'll know how hard it is to talk to them because it's like their brain has been twisted by sin and they're even less receptive than you thought they might be. So it's very debilitating. And we were then, um, if you want to see this kind of life, just get People magazine and read about what it says. It'll be all, all there for you. Of course, you can just look around and see it too. Um, so they live daily walking, doing these things. Um, their minds fed on the flesh and it debased them. But now we come to their destiny. Point C under this, your past, our past, now our natural destiny. Apart from Christ, this is our destiny. We were by nature children of wrath, even as others, even as the rest. Children of wrath, the wrath of God. We don't like to use that word sometimes, but the Bible is unashamed to use it. We do have to understand it properly, and it's important to realize it is God's absolute, absolute rejection, absolute opposition to all that is sinful. And all that is sinful must be eliminated for there to be a new heaven and a new earth. As long as sin remains, the people of God will not be able to enjoy the blessings of God in the fullness that he intends for us to enjoy them. Sin is incompatible with the eternal life of God. And so it must stand under his wrath. We were then children of wrath. That's who we were by nature. That's what we were born into. We were born into this sinfulness. We were born as children of wrath, even as the rest. Now, this does refer to God's opposition to sin right now, but of course, it also refers to our to eternal destiny. What is this the opposite of that Paul has already talked about? If by nature we were children of wrath, but what has Paul already said that we, we have now? Our future is now. He's told us that God, he wants God, us to under, God to help us understand the hope of our calling of his calling, and the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. He's already told us that we have an inheritance in God, in Christ, an eternal one, which is absolutely the opposite of being the children of wrath, even as the rest of people. So here then is our, by nature, our destiny. But then we come to the two greatest words in this whole passage. Verse 4. What does verse 4 begin with? But God. This was our situation. But God. But the kind of God we have. What does it say about God? But God who is rich in mercy. Oh, Paul, in, in, in Ephesians, Paul just has to keep using this word rich. We've already talked about the riches of his grace. Several times he's spoken about the riches of his grace. He's talked about how God lavished his grace upon us, how he abounded it toward us. He's going to talk about the, the, uh, the uh, in, uh, unimaginable riches of Christ later on. He's, he just, and, and, and the riches of his power. He's got to talk, he's got to use this language. But God who is rich in mercy. It's not that God just has barely enough mercy to forgive and to change you and me. It's just going to make it. 
He's just good enough. No, 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 no. He is rich in mercy. His storehouse of mercy is infinite. He is rich in mercy. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, we've already been seeing about that earlier, but because of the great love with which he loved us, the much love, you could talk about it, the, the, the many-featured love, the manifold love of God, because of the great love with which he loved us, what did he do? Beg pardon? He made us alive to, together with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses and sins. Of course, that's why we needed it. But God didn't look down when we were a mess and say, oh, they're just a mess. He didn't do this because we were good. He didn't do this because of any virtue in us. He did it because according to the good pleasure of his will, because that's the kind of God he is, and because of his mercy and because of his, his great love for us, that's purely the, 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 the basis of it. He made us alive together with him in Christ. It's important to realize that this is with Christ, in him with Christ. It's in the risen Christ. You and I have nothing apart from our union with Christ. It is only in union with him. He made us alive together with him in Christ. Now, there is going to be a, a future resurrection. You know that. Christ is going to come back. And, and, and these bodies are going to be raised. Uh, and there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. I've jokingly said, if the Lord does not raise me with a bald head um, and, and a, a few wrinkles, that I'll have to be introduced to my children because they don't know me and they don't even know me in any other way. So, Lord, if I have a choice, just let, leave my head bald, will you, when I'm raised? But I don't know how he's how he is going to, uh, how he's going to do that. that. That is to come, but Paul is talking about something else here. He's talking about we've been, there's also, we've been raised to life with him now. The new life of God has been made a reality within us. God's own DNA, as we were saying yesterday, has been put in us, and that eternal life, which is, my brother John said the other night, it's not something we just get over there. It begins here, the life of God within us. Eternity is the full a full fruition of the life of God that is in us. He made us alive together with him in Christ. And Paul's going to say it. He's going to say it a little bit later on. But it's like he just can't wait. So he's got to say it in here before he says it. For by grace you are saved. By the grace and goodness and power of God you are saved. Now, then he goes on to expound it. He's made us alive together in Christ. How has he done that? Well, by raising, what does he say? You tell me. He's, okay, he's raised, he raised us up. Let's see. Let's go back here and look at it specifically. He's raised us up in heavenly places. Um, let me get here to the right place. That's when I get carried away and go running off somewhere. Verse 6, thank you, yes. And um, he's raised us up with him and seated us with him. Those are both with hims. He's made us alive together with him, but he's raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We have been moved from living according to this age, the course of this age. We have been removed from that to living in the heavenly sphere, the heavenly dimension, in fellowship with God in Christ. That is now our reality. We live in this world, but we live according to another world. We, we have another center of gravity. That's one way to put it. What used to be down and up is not down and up. It's been changed. We live according to heaven's gravity, not according to earth's gravity. We've been raised up with him, and remember, that's where Christ is... In, we're with him there. That's where he has triumphed over all the powers of evil. And that power is there to work in our own lives. So we've been raised up together with him, seated um, with him at the right hand in the heavenly places in Christ. And what's going to be the result of that? What's going to happen in the ages to come? Yeah. 
so that in the age, uh, ages to come, I guess I better say it since you, he wasn't on the mic, but so that in the ages to come he might show forth his, his, his grace to, and, and his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Who is he going to show it to? Well, there may be the overcome powers of, of, of evil that he shows it to. But friends, forever we're going to have the privilege of singing. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Because for eternity, we are going to see his grace manifest in the people of God. Um, through the ages to come, he will, he will show forth. And I, I love that word in his kindness to us. In his sympathy for us. In his concern. It, it, has, it not only has the idea of his goodness, but of his tenderness of that tender love he has for us. That he's going to show forth in the ages to come. And there, I don't know who else he's going to show it to, but we're going to see it. And we're going to, going to rejoice in it. And now, that all, you know, we often start quoting here with verse 8. Now we talk, verse 8 begins our present. We've had our past, your past and my past. Paul says all of our past together. We've had what God has done in Christ to deliver us and now we come up to our present. We often start by quoting here in, in the, these, these favorite verses without realizing all this that's behind them. But this is, God has made us alive again. Paul is, so when he says it, so, so by grace you are saved by faith. By this, he's, he's described this grace for us already, this unbounded grace, boundless grace of God. You are saved by faith. What does he mean by faith? We talked about that yesterday. But of course, faith in Scripture is not signing a card. It's not simply saying, I believe in Jesus. It's not walking an aisle somewhere by itself. It's not even necessarily coming and praying at an altar, though that can be part of it. But faith is that total response of my person to Jesus when I say yes to him. Yes, I'm depending on you. Yes, I'm belonging to you. He wasn't using the word faith last night. I'm specifically talking about God's love and our responding to him. But it was, it's exactly the kind of response that the preacher was calling for last night. That we cast ourselves upon Jesus. By grace you have been saved through faith. It is through that cleaving unto me, through that leaving and taking me, through that depending upon me, by grace, by my grace, through your faith. That, of course, is the gift of God, you know. God is the one that enables us to believe. Have you ever tried to convert somebody yourself? I have. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. I've tried to drag people across the line who weren't ready because I wanted to get saved so badly. It doesn't work. I can't do it. I can bear witness. I can preach the word, but only God can do that. By grace, you have been saved through faith. Through, and that not of yourselves. <laughs> now, let's make sure we get, we don't make a mistake here. There was a sign on the church in South Jackson where I live that said, free trip to heaven, details inside. And sometimes we hear people say, you don't have to do anything for your salvation. While there's a certain truth in that statement, I find it very actually deceptive and misguided. Yes, I cannot earn it. It is not of me, quite clearly here. It is by grace. But you do have to do something. You have to repent. You have to believe. And you have to walk in obedience. Now, you can't even do that without Jesus. And it's his grace that does that in you. And that is absolutely true. But it is not, but it is very deceptive. There are people going to hell because they've been told you don't have to do anything for your salvation, and so they haven't done anything. They've said, I believe in Jesus, and they've signed a card. I went to a funeral once in Jackson of a 20-year-old guy who had taken his own life under the influence of drugs and um, alcohol. Now, I'm not his judge. Don't misunderstand me. But the preacher got up and said, because so-and-so walked the aisle in such a church, we know where he is today. I wanted to vomit. The place was full of young people, and he wrote them a blank check. He said, it doesn't matter how you live. 
just so you've done something like that? It's okay. No, it's not. Uh, no, it's not. You do have to do something. But it's not of you. Salvation comes from God. You cannot earn it. You can only receive it. You, but you do need to receive it. For by grace you've been saved by faith. That's not of yourselves. It is, praise the Lord, the free gift of God. Here it's emphatic. It's of God, the gift. Is the way it's actually written there. God, of God is first. Of God, the gift. For you are his workmanship. Oh my goodness. Thinking of an ancient craftsman, whatever craft, pottery, goldsmith, blacksmith, who formed their work, workmanship in, this, in, in, in the shape of a particular vessel or what have you, whatever product it was. You, you, you are God's workmanship. He is shaping you. He is making you to be, praise God, the person he wants you to be, and you could never be on your own. For you are his workmanship. And how does this happen? Oh, by you know how it happens. Created in Christ Jesus. Created, you know, God has to do it. You can't do it. God's created it. Created in Christ Jesus. And the whole purpose is what? For good works, which you know what? God has prepared beforehand. <laughs> you know he's prepared everything beforehand. Prepared that you would walk holy and blameless in love before the foundation of the world. He determined from the beginning his whole plan, you would be adopted as, as sons, as as the, as the children of God. You would be redeemed. Your transgressions would be removed. All of this. He has prepared then beforehand all of this grace so that as his workmanship, you can work, walk in the good works which he has prepared for you to do. I may have to follow up with this tomorrow, but I think it's very important I want to talk about faith and works for a minute. Though this is not the primary passage we normally talk about, but this hits it here, Romans and James. You know, Paul says, uh, not by works, but by faith. James says, if you don't have works, your faith is dead. I think it's absolutely important for us to realize that the word works means something different in both of those passages. Let's do Paul over here. When Paul says, not by works, but by, by grace through faith, the works that he's talking about are things that I do that I think put God in my debt. Maybe in his context, it was keeping of the Jewish law and so forth. That may have been central to it, but it's really whatever I do that I think I can put God in my debt because I'm such a good guy, God owes this to me. You know? And it can be a lot of works or little works, some people think it's okay just because they go to church occasionally and do a few good things and are a nice person. That's good enough. Other people have a whole lot longer list. But that's what Paul means by works. Have you got it? What does Paul mean by works? What I do that puts God in my debt. What does James mean by works? He means what I do in response to God because of my faith and what God has done in me. It is faith working by love. It's a very different kind of thing. You see, if it's what flows out of faith, I can't possibly believe it puts God in my debt because it comes out of my dependence on God. I know it's Him at work in me. And so it's a very different thing. That kind of works, no. You can't put God in your debt. Ridiculous to think we could put God in our debt. We were dead in our trespasses and sins apart from Him. We had no life. This kind of works, absolutely essential. Because it is faith then that it's because of my dependence on God and his love in me, I do these things. Hebrew, the book of Hebrews doesn't use the word works at all. It calls it obedience. And I like that word. Of course, I like Hebrews. But, but I, like that, I like that word. In Hebrews, faith and obedience are two sides of the same coin. You can almost use them interchangeably. They have a little bit of different emphasis, of course. But real faith leads to obeying because it's depending on God and he is creating me new in his work in my life. And that's exactly what Paul is talking about here. You have been created you, through your genuine faith and dependence on him. You've been crea created in Christ Jesus, remade as his workmanship through the work of Christ that we've been talking about that you can live a new kind of life. And that's the gospel. I wouldn't give you a, a gospel that doesn't do that. It seems so hollow to me. 
One that just lets you keep going like you're going and says, oh, but you're going to go to heaven anyway. What kind of a gospel is that? That's, there's no redemption in that. There's no release. There's no deliverance. What God does in our lives now is a foretaste of what's going to come. For by grace, you have been saved by faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For you have been created, in, for you are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. There's a new possibility for living that is ours, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has planned from the beginning and provided. He has provided what is necessary. From, from, from the beginning, he's planned to provide what is necessary for you to live in this new kind of life. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that you made us alive, that we don't have to be dead in our trespasses and sins and live according to the course of this world, that we can be alive in Christ, we can be sealed with the Holy Spirit, and we can walk in this newness of life in obedience and the good works that you have prepared for us. We thank you and we praise you for that today. And we ask you for our gra your grace that we will receive a new vision of what you have done for us, and we'll be, we will be strengthened to live in the privileges that you have given us. In Jesus' name, amen. Tomorrow we'll be talking about what God has done again. This time it's, you were aliens. You were excluded. You were outsiders. You were marginalized to the people of God. But now, now you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. That's what he's going to talk about tomorrow. Thank you.